and gentlemen, welcome to FritzCast 2021. We're in season five. I've been doing this mind-numbing podcasting experiment extravaganza hoopla, whatever you want to call it. I've been doing it since 2015, exactly five years ago, and it's been a hell of a journey getting to this point, but... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into a long monologue rant right now because I just wrapped up a great conversation with John Ziegler. John Ziegler is a former talk show host, current podcaster, uh, senior columnist at Mediate, and uh, a host of other things for uh, for politics, filmmaker, documentarian, and um, I have a great deal of respect for John. Um, I love I've been following him since about 2014, 2015. From the last election, um, this is going to be a very big bombastic episode that's going to piss off a lot of people, I think, which I'm totally okay with because this is how it's going to work. We talk about the events of January 6th and what happened with the Trump crowd on January 6th storming the Capitol. We talk about those events. We talk about the last four years of events. And talking about those events is probably going to get people who are more democratic and progressive thinking. They're going <laughs> to really love John Ziegler up until we hit the COVID point. And then we start talking about COVID and the conversation pivots and the audiences are going to flip flop. <laughs> The people who were pissed off in the first half, if they stuck around, are going to be ecstatic in the second half. And the people who are ecstatic in the second half, or in the first half, are going to be pissed off in the second half. It's going to be amazing. But also, five years of podcasting, I sat down as I started formulating the, the direction I was going to go this year. Uh, because last year I opened up guests and I started having guests and it's been a big boost. Uh, we've got I've, I've gotten new followers, new contacts, uh, new hits, new likes, new new everything. People are really starting to take take notice and take wind of Fritzcast, which I knew it would take a while to build up a podcast. And I'm I'm still I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a big man on a big planet. You know I'm not. I'm a small man, small operation, libertarian. Libertarian. I'm not king of the libertarians either. <laughs> I'm not, but it's great to see people coming into what I'm calling the Fritzcast Revolution. And it got me thinking well, the events of January 6th, which I'm going to break down my thoughts on these last four years and where we're going forward. Not in next week's episode, because next week I have another great guest. I have Brad Palumbo coming on the show. So third week in January is going to be the first monologue episode where I can just kind of sit down and decompress all these events at length. And and that's what I'm going to do. Um, but sitting down and thinking about moving Fritzcast forward... There's a lot that I feel like I've been I've been holding back too much. I've been worried too much about what people are going to think about um, how I feel about libertarian values, the pillars and and the the principles that make me who I am. And 
I've come to the conclusion that I'm not going to make everybody happy, and I don't care to make everybody happy. This is my this is my opinion, but more importantly, it's the embodiment of who I am. And if that's the case, fuck all the rest of it, man. Literally, I can't hold back anymore. I can't um, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I can't mull through episodes of the podcast if that's what I've been doing, which which uh, a couple of the ones towards the end there because of COVID and because of uh, you know lockdowns and a, a bunch of other stuff. Some some of it felt like a drag and that's not what Fritzcast is. You're supposed to come here. I'm supposed to be a, a, a somebody that gives you information, gives you a perspective from a libertarian standpoint. Libertarian standpoint's a broad term, you know. Um, point you in the direction of other great libertarian and liberty content creators, people and influencers in this movement. Um, that that's what I'm supposed to do, and we're supposed to do it in a fun manner, in a fun zany manner. Where you know, you know, Brian, you know, when I do my crappy Stewie voices, and people, people seem to like it, you know. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why, because uh, really, I just I don't know. Or when people want me to pull out Bernie Sanders and talk about Donald Trump and Medicare for all, and. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be goofy, fun, lighthearted, serious when it needs to be. So there might be some directional changes coming forward. But I have a great episode today with John Ziegler. It's coming up right now. I'm not going to keep you waiting. Brad Palumbo. Well, Brad Palumbo's next week. We'll talk about what's next week later. But right now, it's time for John Ziegler. And my guest this week, ladies and gentlemen, is John Ziegler. John, welcome to FritzCast. Thanks for having me, Fritz. Yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, to having you here, uh, kicking off my new year uh, and my new season for the podcast, because uh, I feel like the last year that we've quote-unquote lived through was just, uh, I, I can't even, I want to be professional and not say incredibly fucked up, but that's what it was. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> before we dive into before we dive into anything, um, can you just give a little introduction of yourself, a little bit of your background, and, and what it is that you that you have done and what you do now? <laughs> well, that might take all all forty five minutes. We'll we're go with the con- to, to talk. We'll uh, go with the uh, condensed version. The, uh, the yeah. Well, currently, current, currently, I'm a uh, podcaster and a column writer for Mediate. I'm the senior columnist at Mediate, have been for several years. Uh, and I also do documentary films. I do a, do- a podcast called the Individual One Podcast, which is about the Donald Trump presidency from a conservative perspective. I'm a lifelong uh, conservative libertarian uh, who has been uh, anti-Trump, but I think from a fairly unique perspective in that uh, I uh, do not reflexively uh, attack Trump at every moment. In fact, I've defended him at times. Uh, but I'm also horrified uh, by the democratic reaction to the COVID pandemic. And so I'm, I'm in a very small boat uh, of maybe like a couple of people who, who are conservative, anti-Trump, but anti-COVID reaction which by the way, I believe that a lot of the COVID reaction was in direct response to Donald Trump being president. 
that I think I think COVID was seen through the prism of Donald Trump being president by a lot of people, especially liberals. So uh, that's the, the very, very short version of my background. Yes, and that's part of that. That, that is a big, big reason um, why I've followed you throughout. Uh, I think I started following you in 20, uh, 2014 or 2015. It was right before that election cycle. And I've got to say up front, one of the reasons that I've stuck with you this long is, is consistency. Um, consistency went out the window with, uh, with conservative talk radio in, in 2016 because it was selling out to you know, MAGA. You had to wear a red hat and, and pander to the audience because that's, where, that's what you had to do. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, you know, as a former talk radio host, I mean, I was a fairly substantial talk radio host. I was a Los Angeles uh, talk show host on KFI in the evenings, the number one talk station in America at the time. Uh, I was uh, at one time supposedly being groomed to uh, take over for Rush Limbaugh or at least to uh, fill in for him. So I, I was in that world. And I think it gave me a, uh, a very strong insight in, into what was happening before anyone else saw it. And you described it very well, which was that the inmates took over the asylum. Uh, because the business model of talk radio broke, the, the hosts were no longer in control. They were following the audience instead of the audience following the hosts. And the hosts immediately realized that the audience was on the Trump train and that they better get on it or else they were gonna be out of a job. And uh, because I was out of talk radio, or I, I was actually not out of talk radio at the time, I was doing a weekend syndicated show, but I didn't, I don't care about, well, my wife will tell you, I don't care about my career, which she's not particularly happy about, but uh, I, I don't really care about popularity. And, uh, and so that didn't influence my thinking about Trump. And I have to say uh, that in most respects, my, my view of Trump has been 100% vindicated. My, my number one concern of many about him was that uh, he was going to, if he did become the nominee and become president, he was going to eventually create a liberal backlash, the likes of which we'd never seen before. And that has clearly happened. And by the way, I, I think we've only seen the beginning of that. Yeah, that's the uh, that. Well, that's the next bit that I was going to ask you about, because when I reached out to you to, to schedule this interview, um, we had not yet gone through the events of, of January 6th, which, uh, you know, I think I think if we can talk a little bit about that, um, I enjoyed listening to your last episode of Individual One. Uh, in, in some ways, I think it's unfortunate that I haven't heard I haven't been able to hear your take on on January 6th. I mean, it was in that episode lightly, but those events were unfolding at the time you were recording it. Um, um, first off, how did you feel at, at the unfolding of those events? Well, as you mentioned, it happened as we were taping the last episode of the most recent episode of, of the individual on podcast, which will continue through January uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, and I was really um, physically ill, even just seeing on my phone the photographs of the assault on the Capitol. And this was even before we knew anyone had been killed or had died. And, um, you know, I, I'm someone who 
I despise the liberal media, and I think that they have have definitely taken advantage of this to create a narrative that fits uh, their view of the world. And I think even Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have done the same thing. And I think it's highly unfortunate. And, and but as far as the events that transpired, I thought it was disgusting. Uh, there's no defense of it. Um, everybody acted wrong. I mean, obviously the security was pathetic. I don't understand how this was allowed to happen, but let's be clear. The people that were most responsible for this are Donald Trump and his sycophants, especially in the conservative media who were ginning up this bogus narrative regarding election fraud. And when you have people who have been told for two months by people that they respect, admire, and trust, including the President of the United States and lots of people in the media, that the election was stolen and that their way of life is in peril. I, I'm sorry, uh, eventually, especially when you get a huge crowd together and they feel empowered by the fact that they're a huge crowd and they get told to go over to the Capitol and fight, uh, bad things are gonna happen. Now. Did, did Donald Trump anticipate that it was going to be as bad as it was? I would like to believe not, but that doesn't matter because uh, he's still responsible. When you play with fire, even though you don't want the house to burn down, if the house ends up burning down, you're responsible for that. It's still arson. Uh, and, uh, and Donald Trump, in my view, has always been an arsonist at heart. And, um, and I was, you know, get back to your first question. I, I was physically ill, uh, just at the, the whole, the whole scene. And that was even before we found out about the tragic deaths. And I, I am like, I, I am confused as to why the woman from San Diego was shot the way that she was. Uh, I'm horrified that a police officer was apparently beaten to death. Uh, I don't believe this bogus attempt to deflect that uh, somehow Antifa was primarily responsible for this. I don't think there's any evidence of that. Uh, I, I, I've already written for Mediaite that I believe that Donald Trump should be forced to resign. Uh, as we do this uh, podcast, uh, there, there's some signs that that could actually end up happening. Uh, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has call, now called for that, Republican senator from Alaska. Nancy Pelosi has announced uh, that they are proceeding with both an impeachment inquiry as well as an attempt to invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, you know, to me, as, as we speak right now, the only thing keeping Donald Trump in office is that Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell have not yet totally bailed on him. If either one of those two people totally bail on him, he's probably gonna be forced to resign. Uh, if both do, he's for sure forced to resign or he will be removed. Um, I have concerns about how that happens from a process perspective, but I do believe that Donald Trump should remove, be removed from office. Of course, I, I felt that uh, <laughs> A long time ago, I, I felt that he's committed numerous offenses that should have resulted in his removal from office. I never thought that he would be. I still don't think he will be. But as we speak, those chances are inching up. I, 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 I think there's a, 
I don't know, off the top of my head, 33 to 40% chance he is not president on January 20th. Wow. And there's a lot to unpack with, uh, with everything that you just said there, because uh, like you said, uh, how people were trying to blame Antifa. I've had arguments with, with Trump supporters and uh, the MAGA crowd over this uh, over the past couple of days, because I've watched the narrative switch from, you know, uh, that this was trying to, you know, instill an election that was being stolen to, you know, um, it was peaceful. It wasn't violent. It's uh, comparisons to when Democrats or or, uh, more progressive causes were at the Capitol, you know, in mass, but none of them, it's like a false equivalence type of thing. Like every time they show, and it's so blatant now when I'm, when I'm seeing it on Twitter, which I know Twitter is a cesspool, but um, when I see it on Twitter, they're drumming up or they're digging up these old videos of like when they were protesting Kavanaugh and they were at the court doors and they were banging on them. And they're saying, this is no different this time. And I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at video after video after video of an angry mob storming, you know, uh, uh, barricades, pushing police back, uh, uh, breaking windows and, and just all around other violence and and looting and, and, and destruction of property. This was like my turning point where up till now, like I've been listening to your show, I have not been a fan of Donald Trump. I've thought very dangerous things have been going on. But January 6th, when I turned on the television, I saw this. I said, wow, it really is a cult. I I took too long to really solidify that in my mind that this is just a cult and there's no talking to these people. Is, is Is this like just straight up brainwashing almost. I mean, that's what it seems like to me when I'm looking at this. Well, good for you for, even if it might've been a little late uh, for acknowledging that. I mean, I've been calling the the Trump fans uh, cult 45 since he got elected. I I think I even got credit for, I don't know if I deserved it, but I think I got credit for uh, that hashtag cult 45. Um, I, I think I've referred to uh, his fans as a cult since the Republican primary of 2016. I mean, um, if anything, and you know, my wife, who's actually a Trump fan, not not in the cult, but she's a Trump fan. She she actually, I think, said it best when she said she's amazed it took this long for this to happen. Uh, when you consider how much anger has been drummed up. Uh, and, and I think that the reason why this happened now is because there was so much emphasis on January 6th being the last gasp, the last uh, opportunity to change this, which was always a lie. Dan Crenshaw, which and I, I posted his video on my Twitter feed, a video of him on Fox News Channel yesterday. Dan Crenshaw, a congressman from Texas, really said it best. I mean, these people were lied to. They were lied to by members of Congress who wanted to an opportunity to speak on the floor and pretend that they were fighting for Donald Trump and for election uh, integrity when all they were really doing, you know, was they were playing a game. Uh, You know, I'm I'm reminded uh, of the famous scene in in Rocky where Apollo Creed's trainer famously says, uh, uh, he doesn't realize this is a show. He thinks this is a fight. Uh, the, The Congress people thought this was a show. The Trump cult thought this was a fight. And and that's what I think the biggest uh, disparity in, in perception was, 
And again, I go back to the uh, metaphor of playing with fire. They played with fire and they got burned. And unfortunately, it looks like at least five people died either directly or indirectly and other, many others were injured. And um, I'm sorry, there has to be some responsibility for that. Um, now, do I think that the left-wing media is, as I've already mentioned, overplaying it in some ways or misinterpreting it or, or over, being overbroad in their uh, uh, condemnation? Um, I mean, I think ABC, I, ABC News was out with a piece saying, although they changed it, that the entire Trump movement needs to be quote unquote cleansed. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, that, 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 that that's, sounds awfully dangerous. Uh, Twitter appears to be blocking or, or, or expunging all sorts of people from Twitter, including Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn. And I, I, I'm against that. I, I, I was horrified when Donald Trump's social media accounts uh, were, were effectively deplatformed. I mean, he's the president of the United States. Uh, I, I mean, that's very dangerous and sets a very problematic uh, precedent. So I, unfortunately, almost any time there's a massive controversy, Fritz, we, nobody really rises to the occasion anymore. We're, we're, not a, we're not a nation filled with great people, great men or great women. There, there are none, largely because the incentives are all wrong. The incentive structure is all wrong. And we've already alluded to part of it. I mean, the incentive structure of the conservative media in general and talk radio in particular is completely messed up. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've already referred that I don't care about popularity, but I think it's hilarious that the more right I am on a controversial subject, the more followers I lose. I, and, and, and people who are just make crap up uh, the, in a strategic way to manipulate stupid people, their follower counts go up, uh, oftentimes exponentially. I mean, so there's an inverse relationship to being correct or right, whether it's in a prediction or an analysis of a fact, and, and how popular you are on Twitter, which I think is emblematic of the entire bizarre world structure that has been created over the last couple of decades and for which we are, are now paying a very, very deep price and will continue to, because I don't see how it ever gets changed or fixed. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, uh, because as you coin yourself a conservative libertarian, um, I, I don't know if uh, if I asked who you voted for this last election, who, who did you vote for? Or, or I voted for the libertarian candidate. So I, you as, voted. As, right. I, and in 2016, I voted for Evan McMullen and then... Um, and in 2020, I voted for the Libertarian candidate. I couldn't, I had intended to vote for uh, Joe Biden, because who I actually, I guess, I guess you could say I, at the very, very, very beginning of the Democratic primary process, I kind of endorsed him. I said, if you want to beat Trump, he's the guy that you should nominate. And I was correct about that. Uh, but uh, when the COVID thing hit, I, I could no longer in good conscience uh, vote for a Democrat. And I will never vote for a Democrat the rest of my life because in my view, the Democratic Party, partially because of COVID, partially because of Black Lives Matter, completely lost their effing minds this year. And, um, and they went after my children. You know, I, I believe that they, they now support child abuse. And uh, because that's what most of our COVID restrictions are about, child abuse, uh, state-sanctioned child abuse. And so when you go after my children, uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, I, I can no longer... I can no longer 
even, and I have a very, very good friend, although I can no longer speak to it because I know we'll get in a huge fight, who's John Yarmouth, Democratic Congressman from Louisville, who's the chairman of the House Budget Committee. Uh, we've been through thick and thin together, and I have no idea whether or not we'll ever talk again because I'm, I'm that infuriated by the Democratic response to those issues this year. Yeah, that that is um, that that is a very big driving point. And so so you voted for the libertarian candidate when, when you cast that vote. Was it pretty much in your mind? You know, I'm just protest voting, obviously. Of I'm course. Just... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I, I'm a lot of things, but delusional is not one of them. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had the opportunity to interview both uh, Joe Jorgensen and her running mate, uh, Spike Cohen. And, you know, great people, you know, great conversations and all that. And it was it was amazing because even talking to them, they would you know they would admit that they're putting on a show they're putting on a show about how they can win but they can't win, and so I mean like at least I went to the voting booth and in good conscience you know I was like at least I didn't vote for the most fucked up thing that you know is going on, but uh, going forward though because you mentioned you, you'll never vote for a Democrat again when when I look at the the party systems that are that are in place right now. Um, the GOP is like kind of dead. Uh, at least it's, it's, it's in very, very wounded uh, state right now because it has, it still has this MAGA cult uh, with everything that's going on. And we've seen, you and I have seen this play out um, on the news and all that. There's people that aren't budging. There's some people that are flipping now. Yes, because they have to, to, you know, save some sort of face uh, on a grander scale. But uh, it seems like the GOP is going to be uh, fumbling around for a little bit. The Democratic Party still doesn't embrace its, you know, progressive side. It still kind of keeps those people in check uh, to some degree a little bit. I don't but, know if I agree with that anymore. <laughs> po I mean, possibly. possibly well, let, let, me, let me stop you there. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so infuriated and 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 I'm sure I'm, I'm, it's unfair me to, for me to take take it out on my on my friend John Yarmouth. But um, you, you know when Trump came along, there were a few of us conservatives, Republican people in the Republican Party, who had the uh, the courage and the principles to stand up and say, "No, I'm not going to be part of this. I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to enable this." This is not who we are. This is dangerous. And I'm willing to uh, make a personal sacrifice to, to stand on principle. Now, unfortunately, a lot of my uh, fellow quote unquote never Trumpers turned out to be total frauds. And they, they flipped eventually once they realized there was no uh, you know, making money in, a, in an anti-Trump conservative world. And that was disappointing. But what really bothers me about Democrats and liberals is that COVID came along, along with Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter, and not one, not one Democrat, not one major liberal commentator had the balls to stand up and say, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here? I mean, Bill Maher, if you want to call him as such, was kind of the exception that proved the rule. Uh, you know, he put his, his toe in the water uh, at the beginning of COVID on HBO and immediately got all sorts of backlash. And he, he stopped because uh, he got afraid. Uh, and there's a guy who'd been canceled previously and made a comeback. Uh, and his whole mantra is, you know, he doesn't care about 
uh, you know, anything supposedly. And so it really infuriates me that nobody on the left has been willing to stand up to what is obvious uh, fascism and tyranny with regard to uh, many of the COVID restrictions, especially in the blue states. Not one person has stood up. And, uh, and, and, and that, it re as someone who stood up against Trump, that really infuriates me. It, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think it's closer than many people, especially in the left, would ever be willing to accept. There are two cults. The, the Trump thing is a cult, and the COVID thing is a cult now. Uh, and um, that doesn't mean, um, you know, COVID's not a hoax, COVID's real, all that, but the, but the response to it, the, the, um, and, the, and the embrace of governmental tyranny that doesn't even fucking work, that's the part that really bothers me. I mean, if you're gonna sell out everything you are as an American, it should at least be for something that works. Well, there's no evidence at all any of this works at all in combating uh, COVID. And nobody on the left has stood up because they're so terrified of going up against their own cult. And so as somebody who stood up against the Trump cult and has the scars to prove it, that really bothers me. No, and I think I think that's a rightful statement. And I think it's a good I think it's a good way to segue away from talking about the, the, the MAGA cult and then the past four years of the Trump administration. Well, let me just, you, 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 I think you were going to the, what's the future of the Republican party, I think. I mean, I don't know. Well, yes. And, and uh, look, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm as pessimistic as anybody. I think we're completely screwed as a country. Um, uh, but if I'm looking at this from the standpoint of the Republican party, you know, one of the more interesting elements of what's gonna happen in the next few days is that um, I don't believe that uh, Trump is, I only put it at the top 40% that Trump is gonna be removed from office because I think Democrats, if they get to the precipice of doing this, are gonna realize this is bad for them. It's actually good for them for Trump to be hanging around and be at least somewhat viable. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, they would actually be doing the Republican Party a favor if they if they made it even more difficult for Trump to remain viable um, than is already there. Now, you know, who knows in the future? Um, you know, people have very short memories in this day and age. Uh, um, to me, uh, as long as Look, I, you know, all the people that Twitter, I, I'm going to contradict myself because I, I don't like Twitter banning people, but I'm talking about this purely from the standpoint of what's good from the Republican Party. If Trump lost his Twitter feed, was permanently banned from Twitter, that might be the greatest thing that ever happened to the Republican Party. Uh, um, <laughs> because then without his Twitter feed, Trump becomes, you know, the, a defanged monster. And, and uh, you know, because, uh, you know, phone appearances on Newsmax or One American News isn't going to cut it, uh, um, you know, because Fox News Channel is going to abandon him. Uh, his his uh, Twitter feed is really his greatest weapon. And so, um, um, but, you know, look, as long as Trump is alive, kicking, viable, and has the Twitter feed, the Republican Party has a massive problem. I, I don't. I don't see how uh, they can come up with a, a presidential candidate who can uh, defeat a Democrat 
for at least the next 12 years. I, I, I think it's 12 years. And that's by, and, and by the way, you really want to look into the future. Of course, it's, you know, who the hell knows is what's going to happen. But um, in 12 years, the demographics are going to be so much in, more in favor of Democrats that even if the Republican Party got a, a good candidate, uh, I, don't, I don't see necessarily how they, how they win because the Electoral College, which the Democrats have been bitching and moaning about for the last four years is actually very much in their favor now, <laughs> especially if, if uh, Georgia and, and Arizona are lost. I'm not sure that they are yet, but if Georgia and Arizona are lost, then there's no path uh, for a Republican uh, to ever win the presidency. So, um, I mean, I, I think there's a chance that in 2022, Republicans do pretty decently in the midterms. Historically, that's always the case. But that is predicated on Trump somehow being sidelined, and that's going to be difficult. Yeah, that's that's a big question mark right now because I was at least un, until a couple of days ago, I was thoroughly convinced that you know, lost election or not, man's never going away, and he has the the Republican Party in his talons, and breaking away from it, it's going to be extremely difficult, but. Like you said, it, it's kind of unknown to see what's going to come from it. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to say the least. But uh, more to to a point that you were bringing up. Uh, now it's completely in Democratic control for you know at least the next two years. Right, and um, and, and it may be for much more than two years uh, because the the Senate map is not particularly good for Republicans in two years. Um, you know, a lot of it depends on, on what Democrats do, um, you know, in theory, in theory with Trump gone and the COVID thing, uh, you would think that there would be a major backlash, uh, against Democrats in 20, in 2022, but the media is so on the democratic side. I think that there's a very good chance that the narrative is going to be that, Joe Biden, you know, and the Democrats uh, fixed COVID. They and and got us through the pan most of the pandemic, and and America's on the rebound, and and that you know that that narrative is probably going to uh, hold uh, with a lot of people because um, you know the, the the conservative media, which has been very confused on COVID from the beginning, largely because of. Uh, their uh, loyalty to Trump, and he was confused, so they became confused. It doesn't have enough influence to impact the majority of Americans, which is why people don't want to, on the right, don't want to admit this. But ever since uh, you know Rush Limbaugh went national and Fox News Channel became a network, uh, Republicans have only won the popular vote, I believe, one presidential election. So. Uh, and and I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, a coincidence. It's not necessarily 100% uh, correlated. But um, but anyway, the, the, the point of this is that um, it's all going to be about Trump. And the problem Republicans are going to have is that without the Trump cult, Republicans can't even be competitive. And so how do you keep the Trump cult engaged without Trump? Because as long yeah. as you have Trump, as long as you have Trump, you can't reach sub the, sub the suburbs. The suburbs are gone and suburban moms are gone. 
as long as Trump is the brand of the Republican Party. So it's a catch-22. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, going into COVID, though, especially with what you said, the, the media favors the Democrats here. And, and this is what's kind of uh, asinine to me and infuriating to me because we've watched this narrative go uh, from, you know, we, we're all in this together and we got to lock down and we've got to, you know, close down businesses. This is what we have to do for each other. But then BLM comes into play. They're allowed to go out and protest, but you're not allowed to go out and collect a paycheck at your job, uh, you know, into the mask wearing uh, the brilliant. Uh, I forget when you released the video of it, but uh, I believe you were on uh, your county's floor when you went out on a on a rant about um, the mask mandates and the and the doctor that uh, originally was against masks and then for masks. Right. How 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 has this COVID thing been so heavily inconsistent since the since the get go? Well, here's my view of the uh, what happened with the COVID narrative which is substantially different than the mainstream news media's narrative. But I, if I have an expertise for it, I, I believe it's in deconstructing media narratives because I've seen a lot of false ones. And uh, what I believe happened here was that there was a panic, that there was a panic in March based upon un some understandable uh, concerns about how bad this was gonna be some mis misinformation about what was happening uh, in Italy and how deadly uh, COVID virus really was. And um, once that um, domino effect started to hit America and people started canceling you know, major events and then Gavin Newsom, I, I believe that Gavin Newsom, governor here in California made the most substantial decision and the dumbest decision uh, of my lifetime, uh, certainly of any governor. And, and that is he uh, shut down the entire state uh, in the middle, late March uh, of last year. And he did that saying that we would have 25 million cases of COVID in the next eight weeks. He said that after this was, this was based upon his shutting the state down. So it's not as if he was saying, well, this will happen if we don't shut the state down. He, he said, I'm shutting the state down because this is going to happen. By the way, his math was totally wrong on the percentage of people in the state. I don't even know where he got his numbers from. Uh, he asked President Trump for a, an emergency medical ship that never even got used uh, to come to uh, the, the shores of California. And so he shuts the state down on a lie on a panic. And once he does that, it's over. It's all over because California being the largest, richest state and being a very blue state, now every blue state governor not only has cover to do the same, they have to do the same. And so New York follows and Pennsylvania and Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, and even some you know, more purplish and reddish states are eventually forced to because this becomes the narrative that, oh my God, this thing is the worst thing we've ever faced. Uh, we must, shutting down will help stop it. 
Um, and so, that, and, and by in my view, those two things are false. Those are two false premises. Uh, that this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I mean, it was, it's terrible, it's horrible, uh, but it is, in, in my view of the data, uh, it is nowhere near, nowhere near, let's even pretend lockdowns worked. Um, it looks like, and the numbers aren't all in yet, it looks like uh, the United States of America is gonna have about 12 to 13% more deaths in 2020 than was expected. And by the way, for some reason, we were expected to have more deaths than we've recently had in 2020. No one's been able to explain to me why that is, but okay. So that, so, I mean, I'm sorry, less deaths. So, so that actually exacerbates the excess death number. But let's just pretend that the CDC knew, knew what they were doing and that they thought we were gonna have less deaths in 2020. We end up with 12 to 13% more. We don't know how many of those, and we're never gonna know because the media won't be honest. How many of those were lockdown deaths? But uh, you know, you've got to believe that uh, with increase in suicides and drug abuse and just the general stress of unemployment and and the lockdowns and the radical change in life, that that's got to be a portion of that 12 to 13 percent of excess deaths. So so now so what we're talking about here is what I would call a situation that sucks. It's terrible, it's bad. It is not anything close to a catastrophe that would warrant the destruction of your entire way of life, even if doing that worked. And that's where we get to the second part of the false narrative. There's no evidence it works, none. There, there is literally, I, I've been searching for it for 10 months. I can find no evidence that, that certainly masks don't work. And, uh, and I, I found no evidence that there's any correlation between the states that locked down the hardest and them doing better than states like Florida or Georgia. I mean, how the hell is, you know, I know the media hates Florida because they're basically the, the Sweden of, of the United States. But when you look at the statistics from Florida, how could they not be far worse than California or New York or Pennsylvania or Michigan, when in fact, in some ways they're better? How is that possible? How can Disney World be open in Florida with no problems and Disneyland in, here in Los Angeles is closed? Totally. How, how can that be? And no one asks any questions about that. And, and so, if you're going to give up your entire way of life, and people say to me, oh, but John, the whole world did this. Well, that's not actually true. And most of the world did. Certainly most of the Western world did. Um, but not all the world. But okay, fine. Most of the world uh, panicked and, and shut everything down. I'm against groupthink inherently. I think groupthink is one of the most dangerous things humans engage in. Um, and it's almost always wrong. But okay, Fine, but here's the big difference that no one wants to talk about. And I wrote a column for Mediate at the end of 2020 about this, where I make the argument that the essence of America was killed and the media enabled that murder in 2020 because this was our brand. This is who we are, freedom and liberty, personal responsibility. This is the country you come to from all over the world if you wanna be free from government oppression. 
This is this is like you know, not to make light of it. This is like if McDonald's stopped uh, selling hamburgers and French fries. What, what what are they then? I mean, if if we're if we're not in favor of freedom and liberty, then what the fuck are we? That, that's who we are. That's that's what made us. And so this idea that somehow, uh, you know, well, everyone else did it, so we had to do it too. I, I just don't buy that. I, I don't believe. I don't, and, and it's not justified in the data. And, and and what really drives me crazy is somehow people like me get called anti-science. That's ridiculous. I mean, the, the, I believe the science is on my side. I'm totally about science. I'm totally about the data. If there was data, I have zero self-interest, zero, in believing that the suffering that my kids have gone through for the last 10 months has been for nothing. I have zero self-interest in that. I would love for there to be some evidence that this wasn't for nothing, but there is none because it was for nothing. And it ain't going away, by the way. That's the other thing. It's very clear when you give this kind of power to to bureaucrats and many of them unelected uh, health directors who don't have a freaking clue about life or even health uh, or science or and these governors from especially blue states or the wussy ones from red states like uh, Mike DeWine in Ohio. Uh, uh, I mean, so they're not gonna give this power up. They're, they're, getting, they're getting sexually aroused by this. So it's, it's never going away. Now, I'm, I'm still somewhat hopeful that eventually it'll get some, there'll be some let up, but there's been no evidence whatsoever that the American people are, are willing to push back against this in most of the country. And, and what was really depressing about the Georgia Senate results, and I'm sure most of the people there didn't think about it in this way, but, but you got a, a state that was the first large state to get their freedoms back. And what do they do? They, they end up voting two senators that are gonna go to Washington DC and vote for tyranny for the whole country. How the hell does that make any sense? If, if, if we were gonna be able to fight back against this, that wouldn't happen. And so I'm, I'm incredibly despondent about what the, the likely scenario here is about uh, you know, where we're gonna go from here when it comes to COVID and getting our freedoms back. Yeah, and that's, that, that was gonna be the big, the big finale question. Where do we go from here, John? Are we just, are, are we just in for the ride and, and there's pretty much nothing we can do? We're just, we're gonna have to go through whatever gets thrown our way? Look, I, people think I'm a pessimist. I actually sometimes believe I'm a delusional optimist because I'm always looking for the hope, uh, the hopeful scenario in, in every, anything. I don't see a, a scenario here. I mean, they've already told us the vaccine isn't going to change anything. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, so what else is there then? I mean, the vaccine, if it's anything close to what it's been advertised as, 95% effective. I mean, that's a miracle. Nobody thought we'd ever get a vaccine in, a, in less than a year, 95% effective. That is, that, was, that is beyond the wildest dreams of anybody in, in the scientific realm. And so we get this miracle, and that to me is the ultimate tell that they're never going to let us go back because they're already diminishing it. And, and the, 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 the distribution of it, for whatever reason, has been nonsensical and pathetic and I don't know if it's political or well, I don't know. Yeah, I just, totally I, fumbled. 
uh, well, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in human incompetence, so uh, that's probably part of it. But I, I, I mean, my God, I, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, if, if the vaccine isn't enough to uh, to get us back to normalcy, then nothing will ever, because the, you're never going mean, to. And the idea that somehow we need 80 percent of the public to be vaccinated is asinine. It's, it's beyond asinine. Uh, I, I mean, I thought, you know, the big lie of uh, two weeks to flatten the curve was about making sure our hospitals are not overwhelmed. Well, in order to ensure that, you, you, you only need a, a fairly small percentage of the population to be vaccinated. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it ain't 80%. And, I, and it's interesting that they, you know, Fauci and others are picking the 80% number because they know that number is not possible because at least 30 to 40% of the public is highly skeptical of vaccinations. And, and, and frankly, I, you know, I, my wife is a good example of this. She's 47 and in great health. She would never take the vaccine unless 100% forced to. She doesn't need to. She's, 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 not, a, she's not at any major risk from, the, from uh, COVID. Uh, and I mean, so the idea that everybody should be treated the same here is is just insane. So I don't I, I don't see the only sliver, the only sliver of hope I can provide. And this was part of why. And I even told my eight year old daughter this because she was she was believing that Donald Trump was the key to opening Disneyland. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was that right. was her that was her that was her view. And I and I tried to explain to her that no, no, if Donald Trump had won, Disneyland would never be reopened and California would never be reopened because for a lot of reasons, but one of which is that in order to get uh, America back to normal, you need at least, I don't know what it is, at least 80 to 90% of the population to be okay with that. Well, with 50 two to 55% of the population distrusting every single thing Donald Trump says, he had no authority to declare this thing over, none. In fact, if he declared it over, 52% of the population would say, well, clearly it's not over. Yep, <laughs> and, and, yep. so, and so the one sliver here is that Joe Biden does have the moral authority to end this. Because if he said it's over, congratulations, America, let's celebrate, almost all liberals would say, hey, we won, we did it. And even though conservatives would be hesitant in giving him the, the, the credit, in my view, most conservatives would be like, fuck yeah, I don't give a shit who gets the credit. I just want to be done with this. And, and so that, that's the only path. But unfortunately, I believe Biden is completely out to lunch on what COVID's about. I don't think he has any clue about the reality of COVID uh, from a data perspective or a scientific perspective. And so, you know, it's not much hope, but, but at, least, at least that exists, that if Joe Biden were to declare that America has won a victory, then I think most of this would end pretty quickly. But that's what it's going to take. Yeah, absolutely. And and on that note, what I wanted to close out on is uh, I know there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of weeks and a couple of episodes of Individual One left, and then it'll be closed out. 
what are your plans moving forward from now? Are you, are you going to open up another podcast? Are you going to focus on any particular thing or is that it's still up in the air for you? Um, well, during 2020, during most of the pandemic, uh, I was taping a documentary podcast on a completely <laughs> different subject, which is uh, on the, uh, the, the so-called uh, Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky scandal from 2011, which is coming up on its 10th anniversary. And myself and a, uh, and a television uh, TV uh, sports personality and I um, co-hosted, which is really a, a remarkable. I mean, there's never been a documentary podcast like it, I can assure you. I don't know how it's gonna be received, how it's gonna get out there. I know a lot of resources have been put into it. I know I poured you know, nine years of my life into this. Um, but that'll be coming out fairly soon. Uh, and it, it will, for people who care about the truth, it will be extraordinary because it's the most amazing story that's never been told. So um, while the work on that has been mostly done, that'll be coming out, as I said, sometime in early 2021. Uh, there's some talk of, of maybe me and that co-host doing a, a, uh, a, a sports news related uh, podcast uh, in light of just how incredibly woke and liberal the sports news world has become kind of as a reaction to that. I don't know whether or not that'll actually happen. Um, politically, I mean, I'll keep writing my columns for media, I, I presume, and obviously I'm very active on Twitter, but you know, the politics is kind of losing its interest for me because I, 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 don't, really, I don't really see any purpose for what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm not part of any group. I mean, heck, I'm, heck I'm, I'm part of a party. I'm not even part of a club. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, there's, there's no, there's, there's nobody, there's nobody in, in my category. And, uh, and I have very little of any uh, influence over anything. Um, and uh, I, I guess, you know, I'm a golfer and, uh, and if golf, uh, ever became a game where there was no correlation between a good shot being rewarded and a bad shot being punished, I would quit the game. Well, that's kind of where we are with politics. We're, 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 very, we're, we're very close to that, where there, none of it makes any sense. Um, and, you know, I 100% predicted the, both the general election as well as the, the Georgia uh, um, runoff elections. I, I got it down to the exact electoral college count on the presidential election. And so, you know, maybe that's the right way for me to go out on politics. I don't know, but I, I just don't, I don't really see, um, even though I, I, I believe I'm incredibly uh, well uh, versed and I have an ex a unique experience that allows me to see things other people don't see. I just don't know that there's any market for me. I, I think I'm a, a square peg in a round hole world. Well, hey, man, I, I can respect it. I can absolutely respect it. Uh, before I let you go, John, uh, any any social media, any websites, any shout outs you want to plug? This is your time to do it, man. Go ahead. Uh, well, just follow me on Twitter uh, at Zygmunt Freud. That's Z-I-G-M-A-N Freud. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and um, freespeechbroadcasting.com. You can check out uh, the various podcasts that I've done. All right, John. Well, hey, thank you for uh, thank you for your time for coming on and for tackling through these subjects, man. I'm really appreciative that you would come on. Thanks.
Patriots. All right, guys, that was it. That was the episode. John Ziegler on FritzCast. That was amazing. Uh, opportunity to sit down with him for, for a guy that I've listened to for so long, interacted with on Twitter for so long. You know, uh, at the end of the day, might I agree with him on everything? No, and you shouldn't agree with hundred uh, percent with everybody on uh, on anybody with with anything. Probably shouldn't, especially if they're somebody that you're looking to for you know advice or or somebody that you trust at least in analyzing events and, and things of that nature. Uh, but Still, it was an amazing opportunity. I'm very, very thankful that John was willing to come on the show and talk to me. Um, and and I thought I think we put I think we put out a pretty great episode that probably pissed off a lot of people. But that's that's neither here nor there. Next week, guys, is going to be Brad Palumbo. I'm interviewing him Thursday night, so that episode will probably be going up Friday of next week. The third week will be the first monologue episode of 2021 and the new direction of Fritzcast and the events of the last four years and what happened at the Capitol and all that crap. We'll, 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 it'll be a good fleshed out monologue episode and, and you'll love it. And then closing out January, my good friend Tim McMaster, who is running as a libertarian uh, in Pennsylvania uh, for the Conewago Board of Supervisors, I believe. He's going to come on the show, and me and him are going to have at it because we've been wanting to have an episode for a very, very long time. And it's not just going to focus on his campaign. I'm sure it's going to focus on a, a plethora of other topics uh, that have to do with libertarianism, libertarian party, liberty in general. So that's what's coming up on FritzCast. You can follow me, guys, if you're brand new here. Follow me on Twitter, at FritzQS. Uh, Fritzcast, uh, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. And you can find FritzCast on Instagram, YouTube, because you're, you're watching it on YouTube right now. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine yards. And the one thing that I ask of you, dear listener, dear watcher, dear viewer, is to share it. Like it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, put it out there. And give me feedback so that I can keep going on in a course that makes sense and, and, and is good for the liberty movement. Is in, it helps influence. If we can tap even one mind, that's all I got to do. That's all I got to do, and that's all I want to do. So with that being said, remember, I love you guys. And I'll see you guys next week with Brad Palumbo.